Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee, where we discuss the deeper, unanswerable questions of the universe. I'm your host, Joe Hawley. Grab some coffee, open your mind, and enjoy the show. And I just thought, how miraculous that this creature evolved and one day decided it would take flight. And now it soars above the earth. If that doesn't convince you there is a God, like that's to me mind blowing. It's still incredible. Or even the simple things like I look at crystals or amethyst and I, I say, gosh, this is so incredible. This deep, dark colors that are here and yet they're formed inside of the earth, crushed by pressure. And yet they form these beautiful crystals. And I was like, that is God. There's no way that that would be possible any other way. And then when you see it, a baby, you know, or a puppy, you have this reaction within us of this life. We all are drawn to life in this certain way. And I think, yeah, there's something to this understanding. It's not complex. It's really actually simple, but it's hard to let go of these already preconceived notions as, as the four agreements calls it, the domestication we have about what's true and right, or as opposed to what just is. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more confident that I know nothing, which gives me more peace. <laughs> that was Azul Torones. He's my writing coach and is helping me bring my story to life. The idea of writing a book was definitely overwhelming, and I'm not sure I'd be able to do it if it wasn't for his guidance. He's the co-founder of Authors Who Lead, a company helping support authors on their journey to share their stories, write their books, and in the process, change the world. He's an amazing man who has guided me in ways that I can't even put into words. He is a thought leader, a mentor, a guru. Some even call him the book whisperer. He is truly a special human and has become much more than a coach in my life. I loved our conversation. I hope you do as well. Enjoy. Hey, Azul, welcome to Quantum Coffee. Thank you. Where we're going to discuss the deeper questions of the universe, the unanswerable questions and see your uh, point of view and your perspective. I'm going to ask you, and this is what I'm kind of going to create this kind of consistency through all my episodes. I'm going to ask you three questions and then we're going to kind of let that take uh, the conversation where it, where it may go. The first question is going to be, what's the purpose of life? The second question, what's your definition of God? And the third question, what happens when you die? And we'll kind of let that navigate our conversation and see where it goes from there. So, Let's start. What's the, what's the purpose of life in, in your eyes and your reality and your perception of life? Why are we here? What's the whole point? Yeah, that's so great. I, I, I just spoke to an author who wrote the book called Why Bother? And it's such a, it's, it's a different way of asking that question. What's the purpose? What's our purpose or anyone's purpose? And, you know, I have been doing a lot of reflection about this. What not what is my purpose like on earth, but what is purpose in general? What is, what does that mean? And what I've understood that for me, the strongest purpose is just being, there is no other purpose. When I sit and watch a flower and you stare at a flower, you're like, this is its purpose to be, to live, to, to flourish or not. And to die it, whatever it is in the moment. And I'm trying to appreciate that about myself, that, my only purpose is to be. And anytime I try to do anything more than that, live past or live in the future, I'm not fulfilling my purpose. So um, I tried to work on that each day and I find it really much more difficult than it sounds like. It sounds like such a simple thing. 
but it is extremely difficult for me to find purpose by being still and being in the moment and realizing this is the only purpose I have is right here, right now. So what do you do to kind of cultivate that being? And, you know, for people that are listening, like what is, how can a purpose of life just to, just to be right? Like what, what, aren't we here to do things? Is it finding balance? And, and what are the, what are the things that you do in your life to try and cultivate more being and getting out of your head and more into the moment? Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's with, without doing, but when you are doing whatever it is, whether you're serving in a role or a job or even as a role as a parent or a, a spouse, that's still a purpose. You, whatever you're doing is that thing. And, you know, I'm not sure that I'm supposed to be doing any more than I am because this is what I'm doing. Um, mm. But Like being present during the doing. Right. Mm. It doesn't matter that I might be a speaker on a stage or serving in parliament or, you know, a trash man. I could fulfill my purpose by being that thing in that moment and not longing to be something else until I am. And so if you want to be something else, then just be that thing and then live it completely. So what does it look like for me? You know, meditation has really helped because I didn't realize how hyperactive my brain was. I always feel like I'm a very peaceful guy, but internally my head and my mind is constantly living in the future or in the past. And sometimes just sitting and doing simple things like if I can watch the sunset, watch it set, because that's an amazing moment, you know, to appreciate um, or to tell, to, to tell someone I love them because this is the only moment I might ever have to tell them. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I get to interact with people during these times. I still get these connections and this is how I built my life, you know, but when I do see people, I really think, wow, this might be the last time I see them. And not, a, not in a dreadful way, but because it's true. <laughs> so, I mean, meditation is done. You know what? Sports that make me swim, like swimming or yoga that make me have to breathe more than I'm used to, that really helps me too. Because I realize a lot of times I hold my breath when I'm not intending to. Maybe not like directly, like deep breaths, but I, I find myself not breathing deeply. And so sports or activities like that have really helped me be in the moment because it's hard to do anything else when your head's underwater or you're doing 45 <laughs> minutes of yoga and you're breathing through your nose the whole time. So, I mean, those are some things I've tried. Yeah. Breath is a beautiful thing. Breath is a, is the bridge to the, from the conscious to the unconscious, right? I mean, it's the one thing that we can, we do unconsciously throughout the day, just breathe to live. And then as soon as we bring awareness to it and consciousness to it, and we're aware of the in-breath and out-breath, we can actually control it. It's a very fascinating bridge. It's like the only thing in our bodies that is an unconscious thing that we need to survive. And then as soon as we bring awareness to it, we can control it, take deeper breaths, and it really connects us into our bodies and into the present moment. Yeah. And if you think about all the reactions that we have as humans, laughter, crying, awe, you know, those are really defined by the way you breathe, you know, uh, even in the funny sounds and cartoons, they're like gasp is, is a, like, you know, the, so everything is connected to your breath. Um, I, I don't know that it's, you know, how I'm going to shift that going forward, but what I do realize is I'm more present when I am conscious of my breathing. Um, it's beautiful. And that allows me to just be more full. Mm. I love it. Okay. Moving on to the second question. What's your definition of God, um, our universe, our source, our higher power? 
Um, what does that mean to you? Where did that belief system come from? Maybe how did it evolve throughout your life? Hmm, great. Um, but what's your idea of God and do you believe in the higher power? I'm sure you, sure you do. Yeah. So, you know, I was raised early on as a young kid as a Catholic. So there's a different imprint that that leaves, mm-hmm. that there's this male oriented figure, father figure that's looking down and not judging you. <laughs> I mean, that's how it felt. Same. Um, you're, you're doing bad things and we're watching. Um, but I think even as that evolved into a, a different type of God, meaning the God that these people are saved and these people are not, so be in that group, um, which is another way of looking at it. And then later in life, when I, I think I just decided, you know, to find my own journey, I, I realized that the spiritual texts that you read all reflect this idea or longing for, quote, God or oneness or the universe. And, you know, if you read the teachings of Buddha or of Jesus or of Muhammad, they're all trying to help people find that, that source within themselves, which is God. So if you ask me, what is God? God is one presence that we all have that completely connects us all. All things that are living and dead, all things in the universe and all things right here close to home. And God is a very powerful force. And, and she is, as she always has been, very much in control of things, even if we might put it into chaos. There's always a perfect order to, to this. So, I mean, my definition has evolved and I hope it continues to evolve as I grow in my understanding of what this oneness is, what this source is, what this universal presence is. Because, you know, if I talk to someone and I, I, I refer to God or I refer to scripture or to, to a quote from Buddha or Confucius, their job is to always point right back to that oneness that, that we're all looking mm. for. And it's hard to argue against love or these very truthful principles because we're connected by those things. So I, I think my definition is a little bit still open for interpretation, finding more confidence in the fact that it can be that for me. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I can totally connect with that as well. Um, I grew up in a similar kind of faith background of this man up in the sky that's judging us and, yeah, there's so much deep truth in all these religions, right? They're all pointing towards the same thing, which is the individual experience of oneness and connection to all that is. And um, what do we really know? I mean, I don't think there's any real solid definition. That's why I'm loving having this podcast and bringing so many different people on and, and hearing their point of view, because it is just, it's kind of a, a belief system, right? And we find our own truth deep within ourselves and, you know, we find that through the experience of the life that we get to live. And yeah, I'm definitely connect with what you, what you just said is beautiful. Yeah. I was, I was sitting out on the balcony that I have here at this apartment I'm in and I was watching this bird fly. It probably was like a turkey vulture or some very large bird that you can see pretty well from far away. And I just thought how miraculous that this creature evolved in one day decided it would take flight and now it soars above the earth. I was like, if that, if that doesn't convince you there is a God bigger thing than us, like that's to me, mind blowing. It's still incredible. Um, or even the some simple things like I look at crystals or amethyst and I, I say, gosh, this is so incredible. This deep, dark colors that are here and yet they're formed inside of the earth crushed by pressure. And yet they form these beautiful crystals. And I was like, that is God. There's no way that that would be possible any other way for that to be true. Um, and then when you see it, a baby, you know, or a puppy, you have this reaction within us of this life. We all are drawn to like um, 
in this certain way. And I think, yeah, there's something to this understanding. It's not complex. It's really actually simple, but it's hard to let go of these already preconceived notions as the four agreements calls it the domestication we have about what's true and right as opposed to what just is and uh i'm 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 feeling more confident that i know nothing which gives me more peace (laughs) that's that's one of the wisest things i've ever heard what do we really know right and the beauty is all around us it's really fascinating to just connect with you know, coming back to the present moment and just seeing how much of a miracle it really all is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. Going on to the third question, which you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but, but what happens when you die? What is your belief about the afterlife? Have you ever thought about death? Do you think about it? And how does it kind of thinking about death affect how you live each day? Yeah, that's a great question. I tried to picture this and I know this might sound morbid, but like, let's say, let's say I lost my arm, like in an accident. Well, that part of me, is that me? And is, am I over there now in that ditch or the that canister, wherever they put your arm, if they take it off, <laughs> it's like, is that me? Is that part of me over there now? And if they took my other arm and put it somewhere else, am I over there now? And how much of me could they take away that I'm still quote me? Could they take everything except for my brain and make like, what part could they, could I say I'm not me? And then I, I, I realize this conscious presence is me. I am not this body, which is hard. You know, I'm not this form that I feel or that I express myself through. I, I gotta be something else. It's just, it's so hard to not identify yourself with these, this form, this body. And once you, you can let go of that, you realize, death or life not any different like dying just because we don't know what it is doesn't mean it's any different than we are now uh, i don't know what consciousness will feel like but part of it is because i'm struggling with feeling what's consciousness now the more i get in touch with what is consciousness now the more peace and excitement i get towards death because it just means i'm closer to knowing what i who i am um I think we fear the other things, which is purpose, the one we started with. So that's why we're afraid for, of death, because maybe we haven't fulfilled our purpose. But if you spend your life being, then your purpose gets fulfilled every day. You get closer. You, you have, I have less worry of going anywhere. I am always here, and I will be here wherever that here is, in this rock, and that cup, or this flower. I don't know what it will look like, but I feel like the spirit or wherever people have described it drifts into that place because you start to realize that we're, we're all, and that's when you're all connected, that you're, we're all here and every, that's why those teachings, like anything you do to your brother, you do to yourself. That's why you should love your brother as yourself, right? Because that is you, you are them. And I think it brings that closer to truth. And so there's several reactions. You see people who are conscious enough to understand they're dying they approach death start to feel this complete sense of peace because they finally understand this is my purpose and i'm hoping that that's how i I enter into it you know and i I think a lot of it is i lost one of my best friends when i was uh, 20 he was 19 he killed himself and i always worried that i would never understand what was that for and what it was for is to realize this is the only moment we ever have and as we walk into death, that will be the perfect moment as well. Um, you know, it's easy to say that now I'm not dying, 
but I want to think that good now. So when I do, I'm like, oh, here it is. This is exactly what I'm here for because this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is, this is my experience and there's nothing to fear because I will go into the same place that I already am yeah. closer to myself. That's beautiful. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we all have this shared experience that we're going to have to go through, which is death. And it's, you know, I think the, the Buddhists, you know, they train their entire lives to be present and approach the moment of death with freedom and peace rather than fear. And if they're able to do that, that's in their belief system when they can transcend the rebirth and reincarnation into oneness and reemerge with unity and God consciousness. Um, so it is, I mean, we don't know, right? Like everybody that's alive, maybe the, I mean, there's a lot more near death experiences that happen nowadays with modern medicine and everything, but until we actually go through it, we don't know what the experience is like. And I think a lot of the fear comes around from this deep fear of the unknown. I think a lot of people have fear uh, of the unknown when, you know, whether they lose a job or have to move to a new city or doing something that they're not used to, it's still that fear of the unknown. And there's a deep fear of, of death, but for all we know, it could be, and from, you know, like you just talked about, you know, terminally ill people who, you know, accept it, have this deep peace. It's like, it could be one of the most beautiful experiences that we ever get to experience in this life. And just cause it's over, we, there is definitely a piece of us that is not this body is not this mind that will go on. The question is, is that, you know, does that piece that go on go into oneness that is God, or is there still a, a soul or spirit of separation that you still get to hang on to like kind of a, an experience in that afterlife? Or is it kind of just, you know, you go back into oneness and then the experience is over kind of thing, but you're still conscious. I guess it's fascinating to think about. Yeah. I mean, the only way I, I can kind of think of it is to, if you've ever been somewhere out like in the desert or, where there's zero like light and you just see the stars and you could actually see the Milky Way glowing and you realize there's billions of stars and you think those stars are as bright, if not brighter than our own sun and they're light years away and yet we can see them. And if there is more stars than there are grains of sand on the earth, like my mind just blows open and goes. I, it's incomprehensible. It's, huh? it's not. So, so I was like, I could just appreciate the fact that I know nothing about any of that and to try to solve it without knowing is almost futile. Like, mm -hmm. because then you have to create an identity of something isn't, and there's no need to figure it out when you already are. So the more in touch you're with yourself, the more clear you get about what that all will be like, that experience will be like, will we be in other, I don't know because the fact that you and I are having this interaction across mm. digital, <laughs> you know, waves when I was a kid would be sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. There, magic. <laughs> there'd be no way I yeah. was still blown away by how the phone worked. And, um, so the, to try to process what would it be like and will we still be like this? I have no idea if man can create these kind of tools, what can the creator who created all things make, mm. you know, like what, what could be, who knows? Like, I'm excited to figure it out, find out when it's time. But um, yeah, I, I always think about those things. And that's beautiful. Even like, even in this lifetime that we live now, I mean, what is possible, right? Mm -hmm. If you start connecting with these ideas and you look up at the stars, I know the first time I saw the Milky Way disc in the sky, 
and the stars. I felt like I could reach out and touch them. Like blew my mind wide open too. It's like, whoa, how small are we? But how big are we at the same time? Like we are the living miracle of this existence. And it makes you question like what is possible now? I mean, we live in these rigid structures and stories that we've created over, you know, thousands of years in our society. And who says that there's not things that are seemingly impossible now? I mean, like you said, this being able to communicate with you and see you real time and have a conversation with you and see your face, like that's magic. I mean, we can instantly manifest things into reality by speaking them. We could be like, Hey Alexa, I need more toilet paper. And in two hours it will be at your front door without anything you had to do with your hands or anything. You literally speak it into existence. Like that's magic. And if someone a hundred years ago, you told them that they would be like, no way. There's no way that's possible. Yeah. There's just going to be these iron birds that we create that'll fly in the air with people in it. Oh, sure. <laughs> there will be. It's <laughs> yeah. all happening so fast. They'll marvel at planes. Yeah. I, I don't know what futurists said it, but like if you looked at the way information doubles or grows, you know, it would take X amount of time for all the information in the world to get to where we are in the 1950s. But it's like, it, it doubles so quickly that the amount of information that we're able to process, create, understand is increasing. So, I mean, we're just trying to catch up. Like we, you know, if the mind of a human's more intense than a computer, just think of how much more we're capable. Cause this computer, I don't know how it, my computer does any of the, but our minds are capable of creating and generating even more processing, even more information. There's parts of our brains, even in connection that we're not understanding that have nothing to do with the way we think. Um, it's a deeper connection. Um, it's like when people experience, like, I feel like I met you. The truth is maybe you have in a deeper way than you even know. You know, you can't prove these things. And science are talking more and more about what is serendipity? What is, what is luck? Because they're, they're trying to help us understand the science behind things like luck and, um, you know, happenstance or circumstance that kind of come to be. The truth is I think humans have a lot more power than they understand. Um, and it's not just that they're thinking it's about who they are and what they're feeling. Um, I love that. Well, let's go uh, talking about the future and and how we move forward. We're going through a big transition collectively as a planet right now. And I think there's going to be a lot of change moving forward. And I know you're really connected with, with education and you've been in the education system for a long time. And I just wanted to give a little bonus material for those that want to stay tuned on on how you view, you know, the old system, the way it's worked and moving forward into like a better, a better reality that we can create and think outside the box because, you know, all the issues that we go through globally really do come down to how we educate the youth and how we can empower them to make creative changes moving forward rather than trying to structure it into this like standardized testing model where it's all competition, but really empowering them to make changes that's really going to help save the planet in the future. Yeah. So first in context, school is relatively new, not learning or centers of learning, but school as we know it, meaning K-12, everyone goes to it. It's fairly new in the last 150 years. But as it started to evolve during the Industrial Revolution, factories needed workers that could follow the rules. So, you you know, these old, older educators started to create these factory models, like we need to produce compliant workers. And one, we we got to get some of these young kids out of the out of the workforce because they're working factories, jobs for for men. Um, we can pay them pennies, but let's 
them somewhere where we can train them. So when they become them, they'll do more like what we want them to do. When the bell rings, they get up. When the bell rings, they return. You know, they know how to have a 30 minute lunch. They know to follow the rules. They know not to question, right? That's kind of the model which school's building. And this committee of 10, 10 white wealthy men decided what the actual content of school would be. It wasn't based on anything besides they decided that we're going to teach, for example, in school, that you'll start with biology and then you'll do chemistry and then you'll do physics in science because it was an alphabetic order, wow. not because it's the right order to learn anything. And they picked the categories, the topics that we would learn, history, math, science, English. They just chose them. And it's such an arc thing because do we need those things? Not like that, not in that order. So a lot of the structures, people are just, they think of schools being good as if you get into a good college. School is good if they have high marks. But as you alluded to that, I think in the future, if people don't realize that um, kids don't need to be taught how, how to, to, to learn, they already know it's intrinsic. They want to learn. In fact, we beat learning out of them because we want them to be compliant. Mm. So I, but what students are is they're just ritually compliant. And the kids that are better at school and know how to play the game, get better grades, and they're more compliant. Um, they don't always agree that they should learn this thing, but they know how to get an A. The kids that are troublemakers who, who aren't rule followers, they do poor in school because they're not compliant. They're no smarter or less intelligent, but they, they tend to break the rules and they're not good at school because school's about following the rules. So all these things have to shift. I, mean, I think if you gave young people real problems to solve, they could solve them. They could spend their whole time schooling solving problems. You know, like this school's job, its whole job is to figure out how do we sustain fresh water into the, you know, 20 to the 22nd millennium. This school could be designed to help people, you know, focus on world hunger. We could solve problems and not make them memorize stuff. And we could really advance the culture. They could be schools where they're just creators. We're going to create art so we can fuel people's minds and hearts with, with this beauty. Um, and they kind of do stuff like that. Like, oh, this is an art school. This is, but their purpose still is to get them to college, which I think if this doesn't help colleges collapse. I don't know what will because they're so expensive for so little return on their investment. Mm. They're not centers of learning. They're centers for developing um, some sort of business model, right? Yeah. And hierarchy, right? And like grade, graded out and like where you're at, where you, where you're rated in your class. Right. And that's determined what job you get, mm -hmm. what like kind of age group, because there's gotta be some kind of like structure early on in the development phase. Right. Like what age group do you kind of let them create their own, like solve problems in that way? Or is it just like kind of let them go and they're, they're smart enough to figure it out? Well, I, I think, I think, a lot of, I hear a lot of adults on social media these days complain, gosh, when are my kids going back to school? It's because they don't know how to train young other people. Mm. Like they're not, they've not been ever trained. This is how you raise another human being. They've relegated this responsibility to the schools who, you know, I was a teacher for 24 years and a principal. Like I, I could spend a whole day with people's kids, but my own kids, I was like, I don't know what to do because as a parent, we're feel like incompetent and we don't train each other about how we, we, you know, train people, unless it's some sort of religious doctrine, people have a training for that probably about how you train your kid, whether it's right or wrong, or you believe that sort of thing. But I think if you watch young kids, they want to learn. If they saw uh, somebody sitting and, and reading or studying, eventually they'd want to know what they're doing. What are you doing? Well, 
You see that big thing in the sky that's warm? Yeah, that's the sun. And I'm learning about how the sun has evolved over time and how come we have this light. And they'll start asking questions. If you guys see a five-year-old, all I do is go, why is this happening? Why is that going on? They want to learn. That's mm. The thing is we say, shh, that's enough. And then we turn off the learning mechanism in kids. Yeah, we tell them because I said so or because I'm an adult or like they ask why, 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 yeah. right? And we should just say, I don't have an answer. Mm. That's a good question to keep asking. Mm. I think the Socratic model or, you know, Socrates, is, his, his whole point was, I'm not teaching you a thing. My goal is to ask you intelligent questions so that you can ask intelligent questions and to question the world, like learning through questioning and being curious. Mm. We've squashed curiosity because curiosity is the thing that fuels innovation, change, learning, you know, empathy all the great things that happen. So I think what does it look like is it should be a, it's, it's hard for us to believe it can look like anything else because that's all we know. Mm. Uh, we think, you know, and there's nothing wrong with literacy, but you can teach a child to read at a very young age and they'll have that gift for as long as they, they love to read. You know, literacy is one of the things that's unique to humans. Solving complex problems is another one, but kids don't need the schooling we give them to do that. They probably just need some, some direction and then give them a chance to read. Like give them a chance to learn and explore. Kids hate reading because you make them read stuff that they don't care about. I connect with that deeply because I used to hate reading. I used to feel like I couldn't write. I mean, I know we've talked about this before. And so when I found books that I really connected with and started reading and diving in deep, I mean, when I was on the road living in my van, I was reading a book a week, absorbing all the information because it was, it was expanding my mind and it interested me. And when I found the things that I really was interested in, it was like, it was easy. It was fascinating. I love to learn, but I had to overcome that like belief that is like, Oh, learning sucks. Like I don't like it. It's because I was forced to learn things. I didn't really, wasn't passionate about. Yeah. So final question. Do you think that, that we can change it, that it will change? Like how does the next couple of decades look as far as the education system moving forward? Like all things that change a system, it's going to take, it's going to take people that I call are creatively non-compliant, meaning people that decide they opt out of college because they don't see a purpose. Teachers that decide that they're going to teach what kids want. Schools that decide, like, I think it's going to take people who are the Rosa Parks of education say, we're not doing this anymore. Mm. And if you want to join me and not do this, let's do it together. Let's not comply to the test. Let's refuse to take the test. You know, what if they take all your money? Let's solve that problem later. Mm. Like people have to break, bend or break the rules if they want anything to change. Otherwise, they're saying, well, the rules say, even people don't know that education should change. No one wants to rock the boat. Parents don't want to rock the boat. They want their kids to go to a certain time. They want them to get work and have summers off. They don't want to change their system. Don't change my world. So the problem is change. It really isn't the system. What it looks like on the other end is who's willing to break the, the cycle and say, I'm willing to change things. Um, I'm willing to see things differently. I'm willing to believe that we can still learn a society and grow if we change what we're doing. Um, and I think that's going to take a lot of courage on some people's part. That's beautiful, man. Well, thank you, Azul. I know you're doing your part. You're inspiring a lot of people. You're inspiring me. And you've empowered me over the work that we've done. For those of you, I'm, I'm going to do an introduction, but Azul is my writing coach, my book coach. He's a fantastic human and he's gotten me um, I've learned a lot from him. And so, you know, continue doing your work and I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Coffee. I hope you enjoyed. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Reach out to me on Instagram at joe.holly or email me at joe.holly.newsletter at gmail.com. That'll all be listed in the show notes. If you have anyone that you'd like to hear on my podcast, reach out, send them my way. Also, if you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. Thanks again for all the continued support. So much love and gratitude. Peace.